I definitely have concerns about the vaccine. I'm not sure if I if I trust it. African Americans have been experimented on, lied to. You know, I may end up taking it on, on TV or having it filmed just so that people know that uh, I trust this science. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news stories? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one conversation with our reporters every week, right here, right now. The Debrief. Welcome into the Debrief Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Cooperstein, in for David Ushery. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Multiple coronavirus vaccines appear promising enough that they could, within months, put an end to this darkness that has consumed America and the entire world. But if only it was that simple. Beyond the challenges of distribution, there's another hurdle that needs to be cleared. Convincing enough Americans to take the vaccine. Dr. Anthony Fauci has said that at least 75% of the country would need to get vaccinated to achieve herd immunity. However, polls have shown there's widespread distrust about a vaccine. And now, a new survey from the COVID Collaborative and the NAACP found that the levels of distrust are even more pronounced among black Americans. Less than half say they would definitely or probably get the vaccine. Newsforce's Checky Beckford takes a closer look at what's behind that alarming level of skepticism and what's being done to counter it. With excitement building in the medical world over the distribution of a COVID-19 vaccine, there's also some mistrust bubbling up. No, no, it's no good. I'm not sure if I, if I trust it. A survey by the COVID Collaborative with help from the NAACP found less than half of black Americans say they would definitely or probably get the vaccine if it were free. And only 14% trust a vaccine will be safe. I definitely have concerns about the vaccine and the long-term ramifications of taking it. Gary Higgins is skeptical, and he lived through COVID once. It was horrible. It felt like I got hit by a car. My fever was so high, I had hallucinations. Some feel the vaccine has been politicized or worry that the process is moving too fast. They washed it, yes, definitely. The doubts are being heard at the highest levels. President Obama told Sirius XM host Joe Madison he understands black Americans have underlying distrust from past, often unauthorized experiments. Notorious examples include syphilis experiments at Tuskegee and the unauthorized use of cancer cells from Henrietta Lacks. But Obama also urged confidence in a vaccine. I promise you that when it's then made for people who are less at risk, um, I will be taking it and, and you know, I may end up taking it on, on TV or having it filmed just so that people know that uh, I trust this science. Also key in delivering that message, Dr. Anthony Fauci. The COVID collaborative survey found black Americans trust him far more than the FDA, drug companies and President Trump. He told News 4's David Ushery that outreach is everything. Well, we try to do to connect with them is do significant community outreach and to talk to them in a plain way to explain that if you look at the decision of whether a vaccine is safe and effective, it is made by an independent bodies of people who have no allegiance but allegiance to the American public. Black leaders announced a new task force today to address safety concerns and ensure the vaccine will be readily available to New Yorkers. It's going to be like boots on the ground, 
getting involved and finding out what is necessary and then doing the work to make sure that our people are not left behind. Will the plan work? Advocates say lives depend on it. Jackie Beckford reporting for News 4 New York. Let's welcome in Georges Benjamin now, the executive director of the American Public Health Association, to get a little bit more context about what's behind this disparity we just discussed in the piece where there's more skepticism among Black Americans when it comes to the vaccine, even than there is among the general public. Georges, thanks so much for the time. From your perspective, I know it's a difficult, complex answer, but where do you start when it comes to explaining why there's distrust among Black Americans when it comes to a vaccine? Well, we know we have these historical concerns where African-Americans, frankly, for a, a range of issues driven by racism, have been experimented on, lied to. And, you know, and also the fact that even today, you know, the health system is, is such that there's enormous disparities, you know, access to care, differences in the quality of care received, differences in the way that people of color are often treated or profiled in the health system. And the tragedy of this is that disparity, which we you just mentioned, which we know exists, which has been obvious to more people, I think, because of the pandemic and the disproportionate impact on communities of color. Uh, now there's this opportunity for a vaccine to give people some sort of light at the end of the tunnel. And yet that historic disparity makes it more difficult to connect with communities of color. So what are you doing and what are other organizations doing now to combat that? So you have to start by, by recognizing that you have to address people from where they are. And, and those numbers of low acceptance are important to know, but we shouldn't let that paralyze us. So I remind folks that the first thing we need to do is remember that we have two ears and one mouth. And so we first of all to listen to what people's concerns are, because most people are expressing vaccine hesitancy, not anti-vaccine views. They're hesitant to take the vaccine. They're worried about it. They want to make sure that that is truly as safe as it's being touted. Yeah, it is a big distinction between anti-vaxxer, which is a totally different story, and the hesitancy. It's a big difference. It's a big difference. You know, people, we, we've, we're having an interesting national, in fact, a global discussion right now. You know, we always say we want to make sure that people are more health literate, you know, more understanding of, of health. Well, our nation has been having in full public display a national debate about vaccines. We've been watching the development of a vaccine occur in a much more transparent way than we've ever had before. You know, in the past, uh, us scientists would go in a little room and we would do our thing and then voila, we come up with a new medication. You know, if we had disputes and debates about it, we would do that in our private journals amongst ourselves and then we would tell the public, this is good for you. Well, what's happening now is happening in much more transparent ways. And so people are hearing the pros and the cons, and they're having the opportunity to engage in ways that they never had before and, and understand what's going on. And, you know, people are pretty smart. If you give them the facts, all of the facts in a transparent way, they can generally make their own decisions, but it has to be done right. 
as we speak, George, is the New York City Council and other leaders around the state of New York and all around the country are discussing ways to distribute the vaccine in a more equitable way, more fair way to prioritize uh, the distribution to, first of all, the most vulnerable, but also to find a way to get it to underserved communities. Does that outreach play a role in countering that level of distrust we talked about? It does, but you have to do several things. One, you have to acknowledge these historical injustices. Don't pretend like they didn't happen because they did. Don't downplay them. And we also have to acknowledge the continued injustices and recognize that the systems that are often put in place are structurally inadequate. Let me give you an example. As you know, when we started this last, um, in the early part of the year, we had uh, a real shortage of vaccines. When we started doing the testing, I'm sorry, not shortage of vaccines, shortage of testing. testing yeah. We wanted to make sure people got it. And we wanted to make sure people, uh, at that time, the, our, our science, we thought that, you know, you can only get it if you're symptomatic and um, share it with other people. So we, we focus on people who are symptomatic. And that probably made a lot of sense based on what we knew at the time. But we and we had these wonderful, wonderful drive through testing facilities. Well, the problem was that none of those were in the hood. <laughs> and so we structurally created access to testing that didn't get to the people who were most at risk, uh, even though there was some evidence early on that communities of color would be more at risk. And so we have to make sure that we do this in terms of giving the vaccine out that we recognize that we have to make sure that we have systems that get people either get this vaccine into the community or the people in the community equitably into the places where they're getting the vaccine. George, what can you tell us about the work you've done with the FDA or uh, the administration, health officials, uh, trying to increase the acceptance? We're, we're, we're pleased that we've been invited to, to listen in, to give our advice to a range of forms that the federal government has had. I had a chance to testify for the National Academy of Sciences, and Engineering and Medicine when they were trying to think through what some of the prioritizations ought to be for this. We are certainly doing a lot of public advocacy through the media to educate people about what a vaccine is. Because a lot of people don't really know what it is, how this vaccine is made, what a safe and effective mean. And then as we start talking about how it's going to be distributed, and by the way, there's a lot of this still being thought through about how it's actually going to be distributed, how that process goes so that people are very clear about who should get in line first, you know, how you're going to get the vaccine, and what happens when you get the shot. You know, I, I, um, there, there are always side effects to any medication. And people all understand the difference between a side effect and a severe complication. So when I get my flu shot, I usually don't have any issues uh, with my flu shot. Uh, I get it every year, but I get a tetanus shot like most folks about every 10 years. And my flu shot doesn't hurt. <laughs> but when I get a tetanus shot, <laughs> and my arm is sore for a couple of days, but I know it's going to happen. I take some Tylenol, I put some ice on it. We know that this vaccine can cause fever, it can cause pain at the site, which is the most common problem. But we can know it makes people terribly fatigued for about 48 hours in some cases. and can cause a headache. And so we ought to tell people that. We also want to make sure that they know that because they also have to come back, for, in, at least for a couple of these vaccines, they need a second shot. We want to make sure that we don't dissuade people who step up to the plate for the first shot to not come back for the second shot. 
it is so difficult to just, like you said, there's so many complexities of all of these things when it comes to a new virus, testing, now a vaccine, and to communicate that clearly, plainly, effectively. Uh, we understand the difficulty of that. How much does it help when former President Barack Obama comes out and says, look, I'm going to get the vaccine and if I need to, I'll do it on camera and I'll put that out there so people can see me doing it. Do you think that would be effective? Yeah, you know, look, first of all, leadership matters. Them getting the shot first of all, is helpful. We're also in a much more visual world. So if people actually see them getting it, they're much more likely to believe that they got the shot. Now, there's always going to be somebody that says, well, there was nothing in that shot. Well, I don't know what to do about that. But the fact that they are stepping up, getting the shot, and then we're all going to follow them along because, you know, after getting vaccinated, if one of them gets COVID, you know, we don't know about that. That's not going to be a secret. Right, right. (laughs) It, it, you know, there being a verifier in ensuring that leadership is going to be very, very important. You know, I'm, I'm not one of the folks in a job that I'm at the front of the list, but I plan to get the vaccine once. As, as, and I think everybody's following Tony Fauci. Everybody's going to have Tony, you know, Dr. Fauci as their doctor. Um, when Tony says it's safe, we're all going to line up uh, whenever we're, you know, to our point in the line. No question about it. Yeah, that, I thought that was an interesting thing we learned from this survey of how much sway Dr. Anthony Fauci has, certainly among uh, a majority of Americans, but in specifically the African-American community. Uh, it is significant, I think, that today we learned that he accepted a position in the Biden administration. So he's going to continue to be a face of this virus and the way we combat it moving forward. Let me tell you, the fact that the the center, let's talk about the allergy our infectious disease center will continue to have Tony's leadership is very, very important. I mean, I, I met Dr. Fauci in the nineties, you know, during the early part of the AIDS epidemic. And he has been a true blue scientist, clear, definitive. He's been an advisor for, for, for presidents. And look, as a lowly health officer in Washington, DC, hmm. he's been, a, he was one of my, you know, he advised me, he gave me good advice and, you know, He's just a straight shooter. So one one other thing I was curious about is you mentioned the flu shot. And what I learned in the research we did for this story is there's even a disparity when it comes to the flu vaccine among black Americans. And is there is this is the reason behind that similar to what we're seeing now with the COVID vaccines? Well, first of all, let's just say we've always had a disparity in immunization. We worked really hard in the area of childhood immunizations to try to address that, to make sure that we got rid of some of those differences. And, and we've been relatively successful to some degree in that. The adult immunizations, particularly around influenza, um, you know, flu shots, uh, has been a real challenge. And we, we continue to have some issues. Some of it's distrust. Uh, some of it's access to care. Um, you know, if you want to make sure that everybody has access to um, that vaccine, then you need to make sure that, let's talk about flu now, that is given in a variety of settings. You know, if you work, if you're a shift worker, uh, and and the access to the vaccine is only Monday through Friday days, when, when are you going to get your your vaccine? So you've got to be able to have that availability nights, weekends, holidays, missed opportunities. You know, people go to the doctor's office for a routine visit, and they walk out without getting their flu shot. Happens far too often. Uh, so we we if you really want to have a focus on getting people their vaccinations, then we need to have a goal to get, you know, universal vaccination. We need to make sure that it's affordable for everyone. 
Um, in this case, by the way, as a preventive service under the Affordable Care Act, it should be free. Mm-hmm. And then we need to make sure that it's given in a variety of settings so that people have access to it. And one last thing I was curious about, George, is that in the piece that we did, a number of the folks we talked to said, uh, I think it was just rushed. I'm worried about how fast this vaccine was developed. And they're not wrong that it's historic how quickly uh, the science yeah. has come around. And so that that's something where, you know, even as somebody uh, who understands we, we need this vaccine to, to, as a way out, I get that argument. What would you say as a health, you know, and what are health experts going to be saying to folks who are just saying, I'm going to wait a little while, even though I think a lot of us would say, well, let's let's rush. Let's get this as quick as we can so we can get back to normal. This is your tax dollars at work. And I mean, not just over this year, but over many years. We have been trying to figure out how best to do vac- make, make vaccines for 30 years more, you know, more effectively, uh, more efficiently. You know, the, the influenza vaccine is made in eggs. You got to have chickens. They got to make some eggs. You got to figure on the right strain of virus. You then got to inject it in the eggs. They got to grow in the eggs. You got to culture them. And then you go through the process of making the vaccine. And then you have a delivery. And we've had years in which we've had all kinds of failures in that production process. You know, even years when the, the chickens didn't produce enough eggs, you know, and, and we, we were dependent on so many points of failure. And as we've learned more and more about vaccines and, and the benefit of vaccines to a range of diseases, heart disease, anti-cancer, potential anti-cancer vaccines, you know, the HPV vaccine, which um, is for the human papillomavirus is an anti-cancer vaccine. It goes after the virus that makes genital warts and genital warts then ultimately result in cancer. So we've learned a lot. So my point is we are now using all of that amazing knowledge to create a vaccine much faster. And then they took the bureaucracy out of the way by the government saying, yep, we're going to buy this vaccine and we're going to support the development of this vaccine because we're in a national crisis. And so that removed a whole lot of the barriers to doing this. And then let me add one more thing. Because we've been looking at this particular kind of virus in the family coronavirus for many years, we've been trying to make a vaccine for the common cold. We've been trying to make a vaccine for that first SARS virus we had several years ago. Now, this is SARS-2. We already knew a lot about the virus. So a lot of the research on this really had been done years ago. And we were able to pick that research up and run with it this time. So yes, it's been much faster, but it was built on an amazing base of scientific discovery that makes a big difference. And I think that's what we ought to communicate to people is that, yep, we did it fast. We ought to be clear about that. But we did it based on an amazing amount of of, of good science. Right. It's a medical miracle. And yet there's an explanation behind it. There's a reason that we got yeah. here this quickly. George, thank you so much for the time. Really been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And a big thanks to all of you for listening and to our production team, Melissa Mack, Darren Price, and Ben Berkowitz. I'm your host, Adam Cooperstein, in for David Ushery. We'll check back with you next time on The Debrief.